This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Zero. Atlanta, Denver, Houston, Los Angeles, New York City, San Francisco, Seattle. This May, the Zero Roadshow is coming to a city near you. As an accountant, when you join Zero, you'll not only have access to essential practice management tools, but you'll be joining a collaborative community of accountants and bookkeepers. At the Zero Roadshow, you'll meet this community, learn how your practice can benefit from the full power of the Zero platform, and even earn CPE credit. To register for free to the Zero Roadshow USA 2019 event nearest you, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.com slash Zero Roadshow. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.com forward slash X-E-R-O. R-O-A-D-S-H-O-W. If you can't make any of the live roadshow events, be sure to sign up for one of the free online roadshow events in June. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And maybe we should retitle this podcast Intuit Weekly. (laughs) It could be. Yes, every week Intuit is in the news. And this week, there was so much news, like I couldn't even keep up. Every day you were sending me another article, another article, another article, another article. It's all TurboTax. TurboTax, also more on QuickBooks Online Advanced. Well, no, not QuickBooks Online Advanced. I'm sorry. There's too many stories. I'm getting confused. Um, QuickBooks with live bookkeeping. Uh, But I, I do think we should probably hit on this free file fiasco, as I like to call it first. How, how do you want to do that? Do you want to just kind of rewind and go through some history? Because there's just yes. even this yeah. morning... Just five minutes ago, you sent me another article. I'm going to try and give you the lay of the land, all right? Okay. From the beginning. You may recall how we were discussing a few weeks ago. I'm not sure if it was last week, the week before. There's a bill that passed the House to make permanent the free file program that the IRS has had with Intuit, H&R Block, and a few other tax preparation, online tax preparation companies for many years now. That's right. And I, and I was like arguing like, this is a not news. It's been going on for 16 years. I went and said, look at right. the free file agreement, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So they, they, this has been extended, you know, I, I imagine on an annual basis for years and years, and this bill would make it permanent. ProPublica, which is a not-for-profit journalism outfit, has been doing some investigative reporting really Really fantastic. And I, and I think they only do investigative, deep investigative journalism. Like that's their whole mantra. So on April 22nd, they published a story called, Here's How TurboTax Just Tricked You Into Paying to File Your Taxes. It details a number of ways that Intuit and H&R Block are apparently circumventing the free file program or, or pushing people who would otherwise qualify for the free file program by the IRS into paid products. Now, let me step back for a moment one more time and just talk about the free file program. So what this is, is a program that the IRS created with a bunch of tax preparation companies to help low-income taxpayers, those under, I think it's about $60,000 a year, use free online tax filing software provided by companies such as Intuit and H&R Block and others. The IRS committed not to build its own software because it was partnering with these companies. That was the deal. In the spirit of it all, on the spirit of it, it all makes a lot of sense. Hey, yes. you can file for free. You have to jump, just like with all government programs, you have to jump through some hoops. You have to go to the IRS's website and click on it from there, right? And But but the spirit of it is, yeah, okay, everybody wins here. Yes. Right. And, and the number is actually $66,000 a year. According With this program, if you make less than $66,000 a year, you're supposed to be able to file your taxes for free on a federal basis using this program. ProPublica decided, okay, let's try and actually do that. Let's Let's act like consumers and go online and search for these programs. And 
When you do that, when you go on Google, at least it used to be this way a couple weeks ago, and you tried to search for a term such as IRS free file taxes, what you will find most of the time is ads or pages that direct you into supposedly free filing programs that end up upselling you. And most of the people who think they're going to file for free end up paying money. And, and to do this investigation, the reporters from ProPublica pretended to be you know, various uh, consumers. For example, they started the process by creating the profile of a TaskRabbit house cleaner who makes $29,000 a year. They entered extensive personal information into the site that they found on Google, and it was TurboTax. It seemed to be free, but then after entering all this information, they were told that the house cleaner doesn't qualify for the free program because that person is an independent contractor and the charge is now $119.99, $120 to file. This is not unusual. They did more digging. On April 26th, ProPublica published a story, TurboTax deliberately hid its free file page from search engines. Into it, on its official free file site, the one where you can actually file for free, they had put in a code a no-index code into their HTML on their robots.txt file, which instructs search engines like Google and others not to index that page, not for people who can't find it. So they just ignore it. So that way they, they're just telling Google, don't don't put this in your search engine. That's yes. basically what that, that does, yeah. And, and I think when I saw that screenshot, and that's when this really exploded, I think, on Twitter and everything else. That's when this moved from, it's kind of bad that people that don't make that much are having to pay to like, okay, it's something deliberately happening here. I didn't know this, but apparently TurboTax has two different free products. They have TurboTax Free Edition, and then they have TurboTax Freedom Edition. TurboTax Freedom Edition is the IRS free file version, the one that will not upsell you, the one that is truly free for people making under a certain amount every year. TurboTax Free Edition is not affiliated with Free File. That's the one where you can start for free, but then you will find out when you use certain forms or you have certain uh, tax situation that you have to pay. And most people, it seems, end up having to pay when they start with TurboTax Free Edition. So Intuit and H&R Block were hiding their free file sites from search engines, directing people into other free products that were not affiliated with IRS Free File, and then upselling them. And the reason this matters is because in exchange for the IRS promising not to create its own free file online tool, Intuit and H&R Block and anyone else signing on to this agreement, they committed to promote the free file program and to try and get people to use that. It's actually in the language of the agreement. Yeah, and, and I think and I think TurboTax has their own blog post out about this, and I think they talk about that, how they have promoted it um, in their... They have raised awareness of this and they actually process more than any of the other companies that are in the free file alliance, et cetera. But at the same time, like fundamentally, I think one of those examples was like a grandma who made like $12,000 a year or $11,000 had to pay, you know. So here is the, the exact language from the free file agreement. It says, members shall work in concert with the IRS to increase electronic filing of tax returns, which includes extending the benefits of online federal tax preparation and electronic filing to economically disadvantaged and underserved populations at no cost to either the individual user or to the public treasury. Members shall work in concert with the IRS to increase electronic filing at no cost to the individual user or public treasury. And this, to me, seems to be the opposite of that. So this is interesting, right? Like, is this 
obviously it's going to be up to interpretation and now politicians are getting involved. Right. But like, I do know that Intuit always had, um, like they would set up time where people could just go to like the Intuit local site, like for example, in Tucson and people could go get their taxes done for free and Intuit employees would help them do their taxes for free. Like, it's like, there's nothing in it that says like how much has to be done for free. No, like every return, educating the market, like, like what they can, is it possible to say, well, we did free filing. People came to our site and we did that, like the physical site, and we did free filing. Is that enough? Are they upholding this this agreement at that point? Well, I don't know. It, no, I don't think so. You know, they committed to increase this program to help it grow. But when you look at the numbers, the number of people actually filing for free has declined over the years. And it's shocking, actually, how few people who qualify take advantage of this. 70% of taxpayers are eligible for free file options. Only 3% or fewer use them every year. Why is that? Well, maybe it's because they can't find it. Maybe it's because they're directed into paid options. And I just find this to be unconscionable. I mean, it's on the IRS's website, but it's also not very... uh... I, I follow the IRS on Twitter. I've never seen them tweet, hey, go here to file for free. You know, it's not something that's big in the IRS website either. No. It's almost like everybody, it, it's not out there enough it's, or people don't know it exists. And the IRS deserves a lot of criticism too. Uh, apparently an independent panel, advisory council last year said that the IRS was exercising deficient oversight of the free file program and recommended changes. And the IRS disregarded those changes and said, oh, no, it's fine. There's enough people taking advantage of this. The tax prep companies into it, which is the dominant one, deserves a lot of criticism for this. And the IRS, too, for not looking out for these taxpayers they're supposed to be looking out for. I mean, only 3% of eligible taxpayers are using this program, right? So that, that to me, means there's a problem. I mean, there's more to talk about, actually. There was an article that just came out yesterday, that, another ProPublica article. They interviewed... Uh, former Intuit and H&R Block employees yeah. to find out before was you, this system. Before you yeah. jump into that, I actually saw like three days ago, there was an article on ProPublica that came out. I think I saw a tweet. They were they were actually looking for, it, it's, a, it's a form. If, if you, uh, I'll read the headline. Have you worked for Intuit or in a TurboTax customer support role? Have yeah. you worked for another tax prep company? We'd like to hear about your experience and software with free file, et cetera, et cetera. And so they, they, they actively, about four days ago, five days ago, were actively wanting people to fill out this web form and contact them. And yeah. they even made a secure drop file box, et cetera. So I think the article you're about to talk about is information they gained from this survey or web form they put out there. Yeah, so apparently H&R Block explicitly instructs its customer service staff to push people away from its free offering according to internal guidance obtained by ProPublica. Quote, do not send clients to this website unless they are specifically calling about the free file program, the guidance states, referring to the site with the company's free option. We want to send users to our paid products before the free product, if at all possible. Unquote. Now, that's H&R Block. What about Intuit? A former mid-level Intuit employee said that steering customers away from TurboTax's truly free option is a, quote, purposeful strategy, unquote. Uh, the article continues, for people who find TurboTax through a search engine or an online ad, quote, the landing page would direct you through a product flow that the company wanted to ensure would not make you aware of free file, unquote. There's, it just keeps going. Uh, 
Quote, the entire strategy is to make sure people read the word free and click our site and never use an actually free product, the former mid-level employee said. In reality, TurboTax's free edition guides many people to a product that costs them money. It's only free for people with the simplest tax situations. The vast majority of people who click that will not pay $0, the former employee said. Apparently, it's an open secret at Intuit that helping customers find the free file program would be bad for business. There was a May 2017 meeting of a marketing team at TurboTax's San Diego headquarters. The tax filing season had just ended and a dozen or so staffers up to the senior manager level were brainstorming. A new employee proposed that customers going through TurboTax's interview style filing process who were found to be eligible for free file get a hard recommendation, essentially a pop-up window to be routed to the truly free product. The response, laughter, according to the former employee. The meeting quickly moved on. Yeah, I think another thing that article uh, was a former TurboTax vice president of product management a decade ago, uh, Heather Samarin, and ProPublica found this on her LinkedIn profile, that, that she was charged of addressing the threat posed by the IRS free file program, um, that she had revamped the TurboTax marketing strategy for low-end tax filers, driving 100% increase in revenues. So th- th- this this obviously goes back a long time. And it went from what Governor Cuomo in New York City wanted an investigation, and as of this morning, I just saw Elizabeth Warren wants one. Uh, this this has become a PR nightmare for this is this is headline news, CNN, Fox News fodder at this point. Oh, this is an election issue. This will be an election issue for sure. Yeah, there's a chart that shows the use of free file declining. It peaked at 5.3% and declined to 1.9%. So only less than 2% of tax returns are filed using this program, even though most people qualify. I didn't think about this till right now, but would be an interesting graph to overlay over that is people searching for TurboTax free or file tax returns online for free. Come up some of those Google searches over time and see like, are the same amount of people searching for that now? Or has that just naturally decreased? Like, it's an interesting one. Um, so of course, the timing is terrible. Uh, given this Taxpayer First Act that is in Congress right now, it passed the House with no opposition. And now the fate in the Senate, I mean, I, I think it's dead. I, I'm guessing it's dead given all of this bad news. It is uh, co-sponsored by Senators Ron Wyden and Charles Grassley on the Senate side. In the House, it's sponsored by John Lewis and Mike Kelly. There's a statement out from Ron Wyden, the senator. He's the ranking Democratic member of the Senate Finance Committee as well. And he said that he plans to raise Intuit's misleading marketing with the IRS. Quote, Intuit's tactics to reduce access to the free file program and confuse taxpayers are outrageous. The IRS agreement with the tax preparation software industry requires companies to work to increase the number of taxpayers who file their taxes for free. Steering eligible taxpayers away from filing for free or blocking the free file page from search results violates the spirit of the agreement and calls into serious question the justification for the program. I don't necessarily think like these things ProPublica discovered are something that just started this year. No, no, can't like, be. Obviously, this has gone from for a long time. It's going to it really just piles into I mean, somebody like Elizabeth Warren going to be all over this because this piles right into her break up the tech companies. Don't trust the tech companies. It's just another example where regardless if this was shady, not shady, you know, on purpose, regardless of all that, it just doesn't look good for Intuit in any way, shape or form. And Intuit even knows this. I don't know if you saw, I sent you an article about the domains Intuit's been buying. 
Did you? See? Oh yeah, no. <laughs> yes, uh, I think we should list some of these out, David. I, I think I remember Intuit did this once before, uh, years ago when I worked there. I remember early days of like electronic distribution, right? And they there was something wrong, and like the distribution center at that time was drop shipping like mufflers to people's houses instead of TurboTax. And I remember people were all getting upset, and I think at one time I remember in the past Intuit like had to buy domains like this, but. I didn't know there's like a website that covers when people buy domains like this. So Intuit's been buying a bunch of domains. So yeah, go ahead and read the headline if you want. Well, I don't want us to have to get an explicit rating on iTunes. So it's F Intuit says Intuit. Tax prep company registers derogatory domains as the public dials up the heat. So here's just a sampling of the domains that uh, Intuit has registered. FSasanGadarzi.com, HateIntuit.com, ScrewTurboTax.com. TurboTax Scam, TurboTax Expose, TurboTax Reports. Uh, There's a bunch that are on there and they're all, and I get it, like companies have to do this, right? You got to protect that brand. You don't want somebody spinning up a website that says fbradsmith.com, right? You got to, you got to keep those in your, um, under your uh, holdings. I mean, we should probably go get cloudaccountingpodcastsucks.com and and protect (laughs) ourselves as well. But, but the fact, like the fact that this just had, is there a date when these got registered? It's recent though Uh, in the last... Well, it's supposedly recent. Yeah. You know, Intuit's in damage control more than just for registering domains. They've also apparently created a special customer service group to handle these inquiries because now people are calling asking for refunds. It's a lot of people you can imagine. Uh, And MarketWatch has a story, an interview with a guy who did call, he's a 60-year-old man who said that he paid TurboTax for tax prep even though he made less than $30,000 in 2018. When he called the company to ask for a refund after reading the ProPublica piece, a customer service manager told him the ProPublica stories were, quote, fake news. And then here's his quote in the article. She said, what I read was fake news and I shouldn't believe everything I read, wrote the taxpayer Stephen Mueller in a note to ProPublica reporter Justin Elliott who shared it on Twitter. She was very rude, Mueller added. Mueller confirmed the exchange to MarketWatch and said the experience infuriated him. Worse still, he didn't end up getting a refund, he said. I, I felt like I read an article like somebody did get the refund. Maybe it was a tweet or something. Um, there's so well, many I imagine they're, to I imagine they're, you know, I mean, these are millions of tax returns, right? Yeah. So I imagine that Intuit does not want to give out millions of refunds. Yeah. We're going to find out. I mean, this is next week we'll be talking about this story again. This is not going away. Elizabeth Warren jumped all over this this morning. Like this is now a much bigger story. We'll see where it goes next. I mean, in the meantime, I have a whole different browser open with 10 other stories. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else on this one? Did we miss some part of this? QuickBooks Live, any update on that? Yeah, so QuickBooks Live, there was a, a really good video. Um, so after we recorded Friday, Remember last Friday, we talked about, hey, is Intuit marketing QuickBooks Live to pro-advisors that are connected to clients or to clients that are connected to pro-advisors? I don't know. We recorded three, four, five hours later, whenever it was, Rich Priest, who's a vice president at... um, for QuickBooks, he went on Hector Garcia's um, Friday Night Live. Uh, it's like a Facebook Live video for about 25 minutes. And it was, uh, mm-hmm. and actually it was very, very good. Rich Priest, I thought was very uh, upfront and honest about what's coming. I'd recommend everybody go watch like the first 20 minutes of that that video. And I, th- I think for me, the, the couple takeaways that were really in there, A, there was some sort of bug causing that to appear for some customers. So it wasn't, intentional. So the issue was that people were freaking out on these Facebook groups because 
their clients were seeing advertisements for QuickBooks Live, even though they were connected to an accountant already and Intuit had promised not to market QuickBooks Live bookkeeping to anyone who was connected to an accountant. Exactly. And, 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 and it, it was a bug. It, it was it was essentially a bug. So if people want more details on that, go listen to last week's episode and then or pause this, go listen to last week's come back and you'll feel you'll you'll be right there. A couple of the other big takeaways, this is launching, which you and I have been saying you know, since you we broke the story, like this is coming, it's inevitable. He said this is launching. He also mentioned that Intuitive will own the relationship. I, I have a date for that, by the way. Uh, one of our listeners attended the Woodard Town Hall with Rich Priest recently and messaged me on LinkedIn. Uh, thank you, Ray Mayer. He said that QuickBooks Live is officially launching on June third. Yep, that, that was the other takeaway. So, no. so there's so, so th- four takeaways. One, this is a bug. Two, it's launching. Like this is launching as a service, regardless. Three, and two, will own the relationship with the customer. And really, the big news in June: this is going to be live and marketed to every single all the visitors on QuickBooks.com. So obviously, right now, there's us. Our little listener group that know about this, the Facebook groups. But I would mm-hmm. argue the Facebook groups and listeners of our podcast is a teeny percentage. If, I, if I'm guessing, 5,000 pro advisors oh, yeah. know about QuickBooks Live. Well, yeah, because that's about how many people are in these actively in these Facebook groups. And there are something like tens of thousands of pro advisors. There's 100,000 pro advisors. Then, so when this yeah. goes on QuickBooks.com, that's when we're going to see some really interesting reactions. So, mm-hmm. but this is coming. Everybody knows it's coming. But yeah, them owning the relationship with the customer is really an interesting statement. Um, so everybody should go listen to that and get it from Rich's uh, mouth himself. It's, 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 a, it's a good 20 minutes of your time. Ray had some good takeaways from the town hall as well. He said that Intuit plans to use TurboTax Live personnel to staff QuickBooks Live positions. That's how they're going to... I was wondering about this. How are they going to ramp this up quickly enough? Because they, they've so far, they've said they only hired 10 people in um, Idaho, yeah, right? So, so they have the model. So Rich Priest talked yeah. about that. He talked about that they have for TurboTax Live. So let's say you, Blake, you want to be a QuickBooks Live person, pro advisor. There's a little bit of test, a little bit of certification. They ship you a laptop, microphone, video camera. They just, you get in a box and you can start Mm -hmm. doing it. And, you know, and then it's one of those on-demand type things. So maybe you have your own practice, but maybe on Tuesdays, things are slow. So kind of like an Uber driver, you could just pop in, take a couple questions, assist somebody, get back off, right? And and make uh, some money on the side. And so, like I said, it's, uh, it's worth everybody's time to go watch the first 20 minutes of that video. It's really, really valuable. Anything else about Intuit before I move on? Uh, there, there's that's a slew of price increases across the board for. Oh no! Yeah, the price increases. <laughs> there's I just a lot, that. and even that's hard to keep <laughs> up on. Like desktop's gone up in price. Um, oh man, the, the wholesale prices. There's just been a lot of well, change, and it's there's a lot of change happening in a shorter time, and it's been a crazy eight to ten weeks for Intuit. I think. So yeah, the timing on these price increases couldn't be worse, <laughs> and it's significant, right? Do you happen to have that in front of you? Shannon posted in the Entrepreneurial Accountants Facebook group that she got three emails from Intuit informing her of price increases. Perhaps they could have combined them all into one, she said. Probably would have been better uh, rather than hating somebody three times in a row. Well, it feels like uh, three different departments. Like, yeah, like completely I, not like the desktop teams, like we're going to increase prices. It's all done in yeah. a silo versus the wholesale QBO prices versus the QBO, QBO advanced prices. It's like, it's like a bunch of silos are just doing their own thing. 
QuickBooks Online Essentials is going from 35 a month to 40 per month, and the wholesale billing is staying at 50%, so that's now $20 per month. QuickBooks Online Plus is going from 60 per month to 70, and again, wholesale pricing stays 50%. So uh, that's not, I guess, terrible. It's, it is a significant uh, increase, over 10% you know, for the, for online plus there, there's perspective here though. So one thing I've learned after being in this industry for a long time is small business owners are not price sensitive. It's the accountants that are price sensitive. So now the small business owners are price sensitive on how much their accountant charges them, but they're, they're really, well, if they have a solution, it's solving a problem. Five bucks more a month. 10 bucks more a month isn't much. They, they, they don't care. They'll mm-hmm. pay it. But the accountants start doing the math across all their clients and they get a little panicky about it. Here's the thing I think that's pissing people off the most is that the ProAdvisor software bundle that you pay for annually is going up by $100 from $349 to $449 per year. That's a significant price increase. And that's the desktop. Software uh, bundle. That's the desktop software bundle. So. And and premium is going up by $200, $250 uh, per month, per year, which is almost doubling it. Uh, and then, yeah, desktop accountant is going up 100 bucks a year, which is like 25% price increase. Yeah, and, I, and I think some of that is it's um, a dry, to drive more accountants to QuickBooks Online. Yeah. I, I think the, because QuickBooks Online for accountants and bookkeepers has always been free. Quick, uh, QuickBooks Online, right, right. vacation's free, everything. But on the desktop side, you have to pay plus on, on top of that, like membership programs like that with desktop software, they have to charge for it. It's very confusing with the SaaS. And SaaS just gives a lot more freedom in those cases of doing things for free. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's if you're paying for it, and that's a big jump, right? And, and yeah. um, one thing that I think I got, and I think I mentioned it when I was at the AICPA event um, in January, accountants really want a 12-month notice before prices change because, and they understand prices are going to change for a, for a software app, but they need 12 months because so many are trying to move to f- uh, fixed rate pricing and uh, flat fee billing that they've already figured out their cost to their clients and they can't just randomly change it. They need to kind of have a 12 month ramp yep. up to get those price changes out to their clients. All right, let's pivot and talk about something other than Intuit. All right. You want to, um, what should we touch on how about, quickly? Well, um, how about another app? that is not into it. How about Divi? Divi is raising $200 million in a series C round. That is crazy amount of money for an app that I, I haven't, I don't know. Do you pay attention that much to Divi? I, I, I haven't use heard it. about them. I use it. Oh, you're I using, actually, you use Divi. I, I, it, it, I actually like it. I love the concept of spinning up virtual credit cards. You know, I have a virtual credit card for Uber, I have a virtual credit card for QuickBooks, virtual credit card for all these products I use because if oh. one of these companies gets hacked, I don't have to go fix my credit card in 35 SaaS apps, right? So I love the right. concept of virtual credit cards. I have a Divi card. I use Divi. Um, but so, I'm hoping they spend some of this $200 million on a QuickBooks Online integration. <laughs> like they don't integrate <laughs> with QuickBooks yet. And it's just like, come on. What, what, what do they integrate with? I don't think anything yet. And so okay. I, I just beg, like spend $100 million of that on a QuickBooks integration, something. It's just some amount of it because, you know, all this money is going to go into advertising, right? And so- it's, it's maddening. I, I want a QuickBooks integration, Divi. Come on. So Divi is virtual credit cards. Do you also get a physical one too? Yeah, I have a physical one yeah. as well. Yep. Okay. Yep. So you, you get a credit card 
you can tag your transactions uh, in an app on your phone, right? Uh, I assume scan the receipts too, or so you know, don't they, do they've added some stuff like that. Yep, yep, okay. that, that's been added in last year or so. You can see the transactions as they happen. You can set budgets for your team. You can give cards to everyone on your team. Uh, what is what is really interesting about Divi that that is fascinating is that it's completely free. They do not charge. And the way they make money is on the interchange. You're basically trading the uh, you know cash back you might get from a business card for Divi and all the features that they have that your cash back card wouldn't, right? That's what it seems like the trade-off is to me. For me, it was a situation where traditional banks would not give me a credit card. Like I have a Discover uh-huh. card that's a personal card. No problem. Try to get a Discover business card. And I actually tried to get a Discover business card because I got a flyer in the mail that said it worked with QuickBooks. And Discover right. instantly said, nope, you don't get a credit card with us. So you have to go to alternative lenders like Divi. You know, if you want to think, alternative lender is not the right term, but it is, right? They're not a traditional bank. Divi does kind of hint at what they're going to spend the money on. They want to become, quote, the financial nervous system of every company. The indispensable part of the finance tech stack for a team to manage their spending before it actually happens, not just after. They're creating what they call an entirely new category of pre-spend management. So I imagine that means that eventually you'll be able to do a purchase order on your device and get approval for it before you spend, which to me makes total sense, right? Why are expense reporting is after the fact, purchase orders are supposed to be what that's what you really need to do to control spending in your company. But most companies don't do it because it's too arduous. Well, the the sweet spot, I I think, for this is um, people that need those controls. So think of like a nonprofit where you have to predetermine everything that's spent by each person or each employee or if you're in a situation where you have lots of subcontractors. Like if that person has to go to Home Depot to buy something for a job, you can instantly just add credit to that card and instantly pull the credit away. Yeah, and, and it's 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 actually slick. It's got a lot of budget controls. It, it's cool, but they're also you know trying to be like you said the nervous system. But Bill.com, you know, also is doing that. You can get virtual credit cards with Bill.com now. So there's a lot of competition, a lot mm. of money being tossed this way to become that you know that that payments engine yep. of business. Oh, so what else is new? Let's see. I guess related to alternative lending and uh, payments. So on deck gives out small business loans. And there's been a rise of companies like On Deck, On Deck, mm-hmm. Cabbage, et cetera, post 2008, right? When no small businesses could get a loan from a traditional bank, right? And they flocked. Even, even QuickBooks has capital. Zero has their loan product. I forget what that's called. Squares, squares in that loan game. Well, On Deck's latest uh, earnings announcement, they started to hint at the credit qualities worsening. Uh oh. So they have uh, the percentage of loans that were passed due is now uh, 8.7%. It's up from 2.7% last year. Uh, you mean 6.7%? Oh, sorry, 6.7. Yes, I need thicker glasses. So it's moved 2%. Yeah. And the, uh, so they're going to start tightening how they're going to distribute this money, right? And these loans. Because I always thought like all of these services that are like this are charging pretty high rates. Like I think on right. deck takes way higher than traditional, which allowed them to take on more risk. But obviously that pendulum is going to balance itself out because they maybe are taking on too many risky clients. And it could be that if you aggregated all of the non-traditional lending that is happening and you added it up, it might be a really scary number. There's a potential bubble in the small business lending market. I, I, I believe that's true. And then the question I have is a lot of these companies are tech plays. 
right? They're all bragging about like, oh, because we can connect to their data in Zero or their data in QuickBooks and we can see their financials every single day right. and see how much balance money's in their bank account. We're going to make better lo- uh, lending decisions than the average bank will. Uh, maybe maybe that reality is not true. I don't know. Um, anything else? Would you, you have anything or did you just only have a ProRepublica novel? Uh, Sholto McPherson, he has a great article over on Digital First called NetSuite's new analytics show how ERPs win over ecosystem reporting. Now, I know, David, you'll probably disagree with this because you are a huge fan of the ecosystem concept, the <laughs> idea that, you know, uh, ERPs, <laughs> yeah, it's your, you, this is your baby. This is what you worked on for years. Well, there is one downside to integrating a bunch of apps and having your GL separate from your inventory and all that stuff, which is that you have database, different databases for your data. Right. If your CRM is connected to your inventory, connected to your GL, yes, that might work from an operational standpoint. But what about running analytics? You don't have all of that stuff in the same place. So you've got to somehow pull it into a reporting dashboard. And it's not always easy to align that data to get the insights that you want. So Sholto has this article that talks about the uh, NetSuite Suite Analytics Workbook tool that they announced at Suite World 2019. It's a really cool tool. It allows you to basically do Excel type pivot tables using all the data in NetSuite. And NetSuite is is an all-in-one type application where you don't need to integrate multiple databases to get what you need, right? You've got your inventory in NetSuite. You've got your CRM even data in NetSuite, all that good stuff. So you can do some pretty amazing analytics now. And I'm very curious to see if this allows all-in-one solutions like NetSuite to continue to uh, win out against the ecosystem approach in the mid-market. But I I think actually it doesn't have to be an either-or. It'll probably be still an ecosystem approach because now, you know, NetSuite has lots of apps. I mean, you got hundreds of apps you can plug into NetSuite, but it's also a single database. So I think that's the best of both worlds here is you don't have to use NetSuite's CRM. You could plug in another CRM, but NetSuite is essentially the database underneath versus and uh, and I, an ecosystem play like quickbooks online with a bunch of add-on apps or zero with a bunch of add-on apps so that's that's something i always told like the dashboard players that in the olden quickbooks desktop days everything was just in quickbooks desktop if you wanted to make some analytic right. app it was easy but now the source of truth of data is in 15 apps and you got to go get right. that and now you're saying and, with and, netsuite it's just in one spot yeah so netsuite is the single database ideally and then you, you run all your analytics out of there but you can plug in apps that act sort of as the, the the front end for interface and for functionality that are pushing data into NetSuite's database. So to me, like if Xero and, and QuickBooks Online want to be truly great accounting systems, they need to add that, that functionality where you can track, you can have all your data in the system, even if you don't use the system to manipulate it. Does that make sense? Yep. So... Check this out if you're interested in the differences between QuickBooks Online and Zero and NetSuite and the philosophical differences and the benefits of being able to have all your data in one place. Um, let's see. What do we have? Uh, I have some advicey things. Okay. If that, I, I got three articles here that are kind of advice-based. And and I, I, don't, I only kind of talked to them for about 45 seconds or so each one. So there was an article on SaaS marketing strategy.blogspot.com. Mm-hmm. His name is Peter Cohen. He's a managing partner. So essentially, his uh, article title is Practical Advice on SaaS Marketing. Uh, and that's the, essentially the blog. But his argument is nobody, and I'll just read this straight up. No one needs your solution unless they have a problem. 
Let me give you this straight. Nobody really cares about your SaaS solution. They don't care how it's built. They don't want to see a demo. They don't want to talk to you. They just don't have interest. So this would be all for our app developer listeners that are out there, right? Instead of talking about features, features, and more features, a website should probably generate a lot more engagement, clicks, downloads, trials, whatever. If we were marketing, fo- if marketing folks made it easier for visitors to see the problem we solve, we should make it easy to see the connection between their problem and the solution being offered. We shouldn't rely on the visitors to do that. Right. Well, that's because most of these websites are designed by the developers who are obsessed with features. They want to create product, but your customer in the end doesn't care about the product. They care about how it solves their problem. That's what we need to be doing as as developers uh, when we market our software. Yep. Uh, Another little piece of uh, advice. Um, There's an article about why Amazon bet almost a billion dollars on certainty. I want to hear this. So Amazon announced they're going to spend $800 million so that you can order something from Amazon with Amazon Prime and you get it the next day. One day shipping. Well, that's because their competition. So it used to be Amazon's two-day shipping was the defining feature of being an Amazon Prime member, right? That's why you paid the uh, what's now $120 a year. So you get that two-day shipping, but everybody else is caught up now. They're all giving it away for free. So Amazon's got to do something new, right? Yeah. So so where this came back to me is thinking about, you know, everybody's worried about how to compete in the future, accountants and bookkeepers, et cetera. And there's some good takeaways in this article um, about how humans hate uncertainty, mm-hmm. uh, so much so that people do whatever they can to avoid it. And ultimately, if they can have certainty, they'll pay for it. So I think if, if accountants and bookkeepers go read this article, they can kind of maybe figure out what are ways they can bring certainty to clients and be able to charge for that as their account or bookkeeper. Um, it's a really interesting, you know, if you can provide certainty, you can charge for it. There's value in certainty. That's a great takeaway. So uh, last one that I have that's kind of quick and it offers advice is uh, an article called What the Heck is an Advisor? from Twyla Verhelst. It's on the Helm blog, Helm's a new app that's coming out. I think it's a cash flow app. Pretty much she has two conclusions in this article. One is advisory services are undefined. Like she went and pulled people. She cannot find a clear definition of what advisory services are. Mm-hmm. She actually doesn't think one exists. I, I don't I don't think that our profession has an idea of what it is. I think that most of the people talking about it at conferences have no idea what it is either. <laughs> but, but what I loved about her, her article is she goes on to make the argument that it's actually good that it doesn't exist because that allows you to customize that as an experience based on your experience, your passions, your desires, um, your skill set, and to customize wow. what you offer as an advisor to your client. Right. And so it's actually good that it's un- undefined. Yeah, well, yeah, clients have no idea what we ta- what we mean when we say advisory services. That's, that's the big problem is everybody's out there saying, you've got to move to advisory services. You need to add the, you need to do this. They rarely say what those advisory services are. And they also rarely say, how do you price for it? It's incredibly challenging to price for something that's undefined. Advisory can be whatever you want it to be. Well, it's just telling people what to do, right? Yeah. Or giving them giving them options. So I have an article you might love, kind of a thinking man's article. It's a little bit of a deep read. It's in the Atlantic. It's about uh, why accidents like the Notre Dame fire happen. Well, why do they happen? The premise is we keep building in safeguards over and over again that actually cause bigger problems. It's kind of a cautionary tale. There's a couple of books that are out. Um, one's called. Well, that, that's definitely what happened with the the Boeing crashes, right? Is the software that caused the crash was actually designed to prevent the crash by overriding the pilot. 
Yeah. And so the, uh, the safety systems ultimately increase the overall complexity of the systems. And there's another... So what does that have to do with the Notre Dame fire? Well, the, the Notre Dame fire had all these extra new protections of fire alarms and things. And apparently this fire alarm went off and said the fire was in room A and the fire was really in room W. And it wasn't even correct. So people ran to put out a fire in a part of the building where there was no fire. Oh. So so all these safeguards for that they didn't have centuries ago did not protect the Notre Dame any better than not having the technology to begin with. Right. Um, and they get into a little bit where this concept of de-skilling and automation. And this is this concept of like pilots are losing their manual flying skills. Mm-hmm. So it's a deeper th- article. It's worth reading and kind of, you know, because we're always talking about automation and, you know, as bank feeds come in and, and bookkeeping kind of becomes automated, is the basic skill of debits and credits going to go away? You could make that argument has already happened that it, that QuickBooks caused that to happen, right? <laughs> once once uh, accounting software like QuickBooks came along or Quicken, you didn't need to know how to do debits and credits because you no longer had to make journal entries for every transaction. It can certainly get even easier and accountants could be even more de-skilled. I mean, I, I was fortunate in that I got to learn how to do bookkeeping on an ancient DOS system where I had to make journal entries for everything. And if I screwed up, I couldn't delete them. I had to actually make reversing entries. You mean like a DOS it, system? It, I had to learn on paper. Man. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I'm, uh, you're the OG, David. I'm, I'm, just, uh, I'm just imitating. Well, hey, you know, that's all the time we've got today, David. Uh, if folks want to reach us online, where's the best place for them to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is on Twitter at David Leary. And I'm at Blake T. Oliver. And everybody should probably go to our Facebook page. Uh, It's just Cloud Accounting Podcast on Facebook. Like that page. So if we do any uh, Facebook Live events, you'll be notified right away that we're doing those. And the other thing we really want somebody to do, we would love it if you went to iTunes and you left a review. If you do that, Blake will read your iTunes rating and review on the Cloud Accounting Podcast in the next episode. All right. Have a great weekend, David. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye.